Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Social Innovation Podcast. Today, I am joined by Neha Mehta, the founder of Femtech Partners. I've been looking forward to this for such a long time. I'm so glad you're on the show today. How are you doing? Thank you, Michael. It's an honor to be on your show. I know, it took us a while, and finally we made it. <laughs> a little bit of a back and forth, but it's good to have you here. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yes, it's, it's a pleasure to talk to you, and it's good to do it in a very professional way like this. <laughs> Thank you very much. Let's get a bit of your background for context. Great. Yeah, thank you. So I run a consulting firm called Femtech Partners out of Singapore. The reason I call it Femtech is because I was hoping to amplify the voice of female in tech. And uh, this really dawned on me when I was working in the Netherlands, because I realized that um, the women in tech is really minuscule, the number, uh, when it comes to Asia. So having worked in Asia all my life, and I moved to the Netherlands, I was very surprised by the huge participation of women there. And that's exactly when I thought um, this is my time to take charge and uh, change the gears and change the narrative for this uh, story to come in the, in, the, in the future. But where are you from originally? Are you, you're not originally from the Netherlands, are you? No, so that's easy to guess. Not really. <laughs> I'm from... <laughs> I, I'm from India, and uh, interestingly, my name uh, has a meaning. Um, my my father decided to give me this name because uh, it's a Hindi word which means love. So he was hoping that I would be spreading love all across wherever I go. Uh, but I was very fortunate to uh, to live and work in Singapore. Got my first job as a lawyer there. Um, so I was very happy to escape India and to be in a country which gives you a level playing field at many levels. Um, and I never felt that I was the odd one out in the room. Or I really had to strive to to make sure my voice is heard. But at the same time, I think um, when I was working in the fintech or for the financial, uh, financial, the financial sector, I kind of realized that uh, we need more women in the room and at the decision table. So when did you start getting interested in the social impact? If I go back and look at the history of some of the things that you've done, it seems to have kind of just bit by bit moved into your focus. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. That's a good observation, Michael, because I think I was moving inch by inch to this uh, ultimate goal of mine. After having worked as a lawyer for a couple of years, I realized that I enjoy working in the financial sector. But at the same time, I really enjoy working with the regulators and uh, trying to amplify the voice of the industry to bring forth the issues they're facing. So I was uh, working in a capacity I would like to say lobbyist, but there's no such thing in the Asian context. But right. I was working with trade associations, uh, trying to work on regulatory pieces where we could work with regulators, explain to them uh, what the problem or the issues that the industry is facing. And this was in the context of hedge funds, private equity and venture capital. Right. And uh, there came this huge wave of fintech in 2017. And that's exactly when I joined the I joined the wave, and since then, it's been happy times. <laughs> <laughs> you seem very, you seem busy in the sense that the, you have a lot of interest, right? I'm really curious about what you did. Did you work in Bangladesh for this financial inclusion specialist when you were, what is this, at VSO? Were you there physically for a year and a half? 
Uh, I'm glad you asked me this question because I was speaking at a conference in Thailand and I'm saying this because I know right now as we speak, you are based in Bangkok and you're yes. doing this out of your office there. Uh, I was I was speaking at a conference there and a couple of ladies approached me just right after my panel and they, they asked me if they can interview me. Uh, that interview tape actually was taken to the voluntary service organization the VSO to the guys in the UK and they reached out to me to ask if I would be keen to do a field visit in Bangladesh to explain to them how uh, fintech could potentially help women farmers uh, be more financially inclusive and at the same time work with the regulators to define some of their uh, regulatory pieces. Uh, but this was just at the fag end of 2019 and then we know what happened in 2020, right? So right. yeah, unfortunately, Things didn't move so much after I made recommendations and those created a report on my uh, my possible suggestions there. But I think maybe in the, in the next couple of months when things settle down, perhaps I'll get a chance to go there again and work with the regulators and make sure that women can, can access fintech solutions. But you will be surprised to know, Michael, that uh, a venture called Bcash is absolutely changing the landscape in terms of helping women sign up for microinsurance, microloans. There's a lot of hope there. What is Bcash exactly? And where is it based? Uh, so Bcash is based in Bangladesh. Uh, I've been in Singapore for 12 years, never really came across this name. But only after visiting Bangladesh, I realized that Bcash is the biggest remittance corridor between Bangladesh and Singapore workers. So every weekend you will uh, find workers across the city uh, Singapore, <laughs> uh, lining up out, outside of Mustafa Center to send money to their relatives and family in Bangladesh. With the advent of this new startup, Bcash, they are able to send money by a click of a button. And uh, not only that, the wife sitting in Bangladesh doesn't really need to have a smartphone to access this money. She can show the message from Bcash on her normal Nokia device, walk, or, walk to the next, uh, you know, next door counter or the shop, Bcash is running in the village, and get the money from the, the vendor there. Right. So this is a real example of this word we talked about before, which is financial inclusion. And I want to talk a little bit more about financial intelligence, right? So people actually understanding what that means. But can you tell me why this financial inclusion, particularly for women, is so important? Let me put things into context, Michael. Please. When we talk about the 1.7 billion uh, unbanked people in the world, uh, more than 50% are based in Asia, and then more, more than half are actually women. So there's a real need for us to actually capture women. I remember as a student, uh, when I was in, studying in Delhi, uh, my mother often used to tell me, if you educate a mother, you educate the family, <laughs> and thereby you educate the whole village, right? That's the power of uh, educating a woman, because whatever you give to a woman, she uh, she kind of, you know, amplifies it. She uh, multiplies that. Uh, but so I think it's the same concept. So if you want to make sure that you see women bringing diversity, not only because you want to check those ESG boxes and DNI boxes, but more because uh, they really have great ideas to work on, and uh, you want a level playing field at the end of the day, right? So, I mean, if I were to share just a short story with you Please. again, going back to Bangladesh, uh, most of the women I met, and these were just women looking after, you know, their farms or doing crab farming, uh, they were earning more than their husbands, but they would never talk about 
their high level of income and awareness about financial products at home. They would play it uh, in such a way that they're very docile. <laughs> they let the man think that he's earning more. So women can go to the extent of, you know, really earning high, but not really showing it off because they want to play with the family dynamics as well. And that was a very interesting observation for me because the rebellion in me thought, wow, why would you do that? If I was in the same position, I would rather, you know, blow my own trumpet. <laughs> uh, but I, I think they wanted to save their marriage, right? They don't want the husband to walk out in them and just be the sole breadwinner for the family. So I feel that if you're able to bring the right financial resources to women, they can definitely manage the expenses well, whether it's about creating the right level of awareness and at the same time, uh, taking the business online. Because we have seen this firsthand. Businesses that are going digital are the ones who are going to survive in 2020 and thereafter, right? So it's important to go from offline to online. So, you know, giving them the right digital skills is very important. If we talk about COVID, COVID has kind of put women, you know, back to 30 years of progress rate. So we certainly need uh, to, you know, pull our socks and do something about it now. So again, just to explain to people explicitly, how has COVID put woman, women back, you know, 30 years of progress? Of course, I mean, to begin with, it's the fact that um, women take a lot of workload at home, right? Uh, men don't really chip in. So now that the, the, the lines between professional and personal has, has gone really blurry, it's kind of difficult to define where the roles are changing from working to caretaking to being a mother, cooking and looking after so many things. So they are constantly overworked. They are emotionally stressed out because of this. And at the same time, uh, women who don't really have any access to the digital world, like we spoke about, you know, having the opportunity to go from offline to online, they are out of work right now. And uh, I have seen this firsthand that men tend to be good with technology. And men tend to be far more, um, uh, you know, they have a far more risk appetite than women. What has come to my notice is also the fact that uh, most of the times men are the ones who have the, the assets in their names. So if as, as a woman, I want to go out and get a loan, I won't have any collateral to give because it could be in my father's name or husband's name. So what do I do now? Because I don't really have access to digital skills as well. No technology uh, is, is available to me. So I think with COVID, the challenge has become even more worse because we don't really know how to reach out to these women because they don't know how to use Zoom. And uh, for all you know, they don't have a smartphone to begin with. So we need more players who can give solutions at, um, at a level which is easily accessible to these kind of women. I lived in Tokyo, as you know, I think for 22 years. And there was a large amount of foreign domestic workers in Tokyo. And I think when people think about FDWs, they think a lot about the Middle East, right? So people from the Philippines or people from Pakistan or other countries heading to the UAE to get jobs or maybe heading to other countries in the GCC. But does the same thing happen in Singapore? Is that something people just don't know about? Michael, this is amazing because, uh, you know, I just wrapped up a project with BlackRock. It was part of the Corporate Social Responsibility, CSR. Right. And the project was focused on foreign domestic workers who are based in Singapore, but they could be coming from countries like India, Bangladesh and China. 
And my observation uh, is pretty similar to what you just mentioned about uh, your stint in Tokyo. Having lived in Singapore for 12 years, and here I am, you know, thinking I'm a very smart ass. <laughs> I had zero realization that uh, these women, especially, you know, when you talk about foreign domestic workers, we're talking about female population, yeah? They have huge problems sending money back home. Like I spoke about the remittance. And for the longest time, remittance was not an essential service during COVID-19 pandemic. And imagine they don't really have e-money to begin with. They don't have uh, a bank account. So how do you expect these foreign domestic workers to, to, you know, actually make payments, send money back home? buy something for them uh, for themselves just to you know cheer them up and uh, and they were they're allowed to take a weekly off that's on sunday but uh, the country is in lockdown they can't go out the kind of emotional stress they're going through so this project really you know took me an emotional ride because here i am uh, fulfilling a corporate project but at the same time i was extremely happy because it's something very close to my heart that i could change lives of these women because the idea was that we were explaining them how these um, simple vanilla financial products work how they can get started with opening a bank account and we will be monitoring their progress for the next 6 months to really understand if they have been able to follow our recommendations And we are right here to make sure that we can solve the problems that they face uh, while they are stepping out and following our suggestions. So it's it's a hand-holding process as well. And it's something that really gives you a good night's sleep, right? Because you know that you're doing your bit to help women who are underserved, underrepresented. And uh, for all you know, maybe two years down the line, when I see them again, I'll be very happy that I've changed someone's life. It's so important. I sometimes talk about entrepreneurs feel like at the beginning of their journey that they're operating in a vacuum in the sense that they're starting to build a company. Maybe they have a little bit of traction. Something good happens. And you'll see where this dovetails with what you're saying in a second. But I think these FTWs also feel like they're operating in a vacuum in the sense that there's no, you know, there's no community. There's no platform out there to help them. So they feel like they're operating alone. So the fact that there is a program that actually does this you know, not just in Singapore, but this is something that should be everywhere, right? So that they don't feel like they're operating in a vacuum. So like you said, so six months later, if you teach them how to, you know, get a bank account and transfer money and remit money back to their families, which is super important. This is true for the Philippines, as you said, and, and India and Bangladesh and other countries as well. If you can do that, then you feel like you're really accomplishing something, yeah? Absolutely. Uh, You're spot on. And I think uh, the two of us can relate to this even more because we are expats living outside of our own home country. And you know the feeling of uprooting yourself, right? Starting all over again. Oh my gosh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's it's you know it's scary but at the same time if you're talking about uh, people who are just making you know just about four hundred dollars a month and they are saving up money to buy a house to provide for the elderly parents and most of them are married and uh, they come from broken marriages they want to look after the kids it was just huge the kind of responsibilities they have on them so i think if i get a chance i would definitely like to uh, work on more of these corporate social responsibility or esg projects where we can bring the element of uh, fintech and financial inclusion and use tech as a force of good and and you are doing this as well right like uh, you have been promoting women uh, you run projects uh, where you make sure that you have women representation so i think you're doing your bit as well there I'm trying. I'm, I, don't, I don't think I'm as successful at this <laughs> as you are. 
And I will say this, and I've said this actually recently, and I'll say it on the show too. I struggle to get female guests on the show across the platform. And I think part of the reason why is that there's this inherent stress around if a man just calls you out of the blue, you just wonder like, why are they contacting me? And can I, can I trust that person? And are they operating in good faith? It takes me a lot of time to get female guests on the show. And the reality is that all I'm trying to do is help. And I hope people get that message because I'd like to have more conversations like I'm having with you, record them and put them out there so that people can hear these stories, right? The whole idea of this conversation is not for me to talk. We talked about this offline. It's so people can hear what you're doing, understand what you're doing, and understand how that fits in to the overall ecosystem. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I understand your sentiment and I remember this conversation. So I, I'm really hoping that it changes, right? Because a candid conversation like this, uh, it's something that, you know, it's absolutely unfiltered. People got to know the, the struggles that you are facing or I'm facing. And, you know, it's, it's relatable as well. What I can do is possibly reach out to all my female gang to tell them that here's this podcast. <laughs> yeah, because I think we need to make sure that at least uh, it's a equal partnership right absolutely so yeah so if let's say you're doing four shows in a in a month you've got to have two female attendees there yeah and i'm happy to do it i'm happy <laughs> to work extra hard to do whatever kind of prep work or whatever's necessary to make sure that that that's going to happen can you talk about femtech itself you said you put tech in there why is the tech side so important to you i think i will answer this way michael you can you can talk about uh, are you able to talk about anything in, in today's world without having a tech component? In it, I don't right? think so, yeah. It's, it's impossible. And COVID has actually accelerated the process of digitization so much. The countries have leapfrogged in the technology infrastructure because they want to make sure that the economy doesn't shut down and things go uh, at least normal, if not to the new normal, right? So when I realized that as a non-techie, if I really want to make a mark uh, for women in tech or for the financial inclusion of women, I really want to make sure that we use fintech for this. So when I set up uh, Femtech Partners in 2019, uh, the intent was to make sure that we amplify women's voice, we represent world's 50% point of view, and we are doing this by providing them uh, financial inclusion services, and at the same time, running projects like the one that we did with BlackRock, where we are trying to uh, work for the unbanked and underbanked. And besides that, I also took up a project with the UK FCDO, the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office. Tell me about this. Yeah, so uh, this project is very interesting because we are again focusing on sustainable development goals of poverty elevation and uh, gender equality. And we are doing this in six countries in Southeast Asia, uh, Thailand including there. Again, we are working with the regulators and technical assistance and capacity building. And that is to just make sure that we have um, equality from the, gen uh, from the re regulation piece itself. So if let's say we can, you know, create the awareness and work with the regulators to make sure that the regulation, the first piece of draft regulation is not kind of going against women in any way. Um, so I think that's a good start, right? Because by the time the regulation rolls out, it's kind of late to bring changes. So we are doing it from day one or rather day zero. So 
So to be in a position, you know, in the last two years, I have I've done projects which are extremely gratifying, paying my bills, <laughs> and then won some awards along the way, like the British Chamber of Commerce Award in Singapore. I think it's it's been a great journey, but I try to pay it back by providing free mentorship to women who want to have a career in fintech or anyone who's looking to have a career in fintech or financial inclusion. Do you work with the United Nations Development Program at all? That is correct. Yes. So uh, recently got onto their um, onto the UNDP SDG uh, expert group. So I've been providing them uh, expert services there on sustainable development goals and financial inclusion. Uh, And I think this has become a a main theme, right? Gone are the days when ECG, ESG and uh, projects on diversity and inclusion was just, you know, mentioned because it sounds cool, but now it's becoming a main theme. Yeah, I mean, how hard is it to get to work with the UNDP? I think the the process is definitely a longish one, but uh, luckily for me, uh, based on my uh, based on my career and the work that I've done in the last couple of years, it was fairly simple in terms of um, you know uh, they they getting a sense that I am able to bring something on board, and now I'm I'm a part of this huge group of people I'm not sure how many people are there <laughs> but it's, it's a set of a set of people where we are trying to give advice on sustainable development goals uh for me the focus remains fintech and financial inclusion especially in developing markets given the work that i've been doing in southeast asia and south asia i think now that everything has gone virtual certainly it's far more easier to kind of spread the wings and uh, work with multiple stakeholders Having said that, I think it's still very tricky to work with certain regulators because, uh, for instance, countries like Vietnam, Thailand, the regulators have not managed to really take their work uh, online because uh, for some reason, I think they still feel that uh, it's good to have face-to-face meetings. So we need to get over those those kind of um, roadblocks. Do you think, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head, right, but do you think that things like Grab or Paytm or some of these super apps in the region can play a part in financial inclusion and financial literacy as well, right? In other words, you can be included, but if you don't understand what's happening there, that's where the literacy comes in. Do you think that they can play a role in sort of educating people about the services that they offer that can actually help them be more financially inclusive? So I think for me, Michael, the the starting point of this financial inclusion, I always see it from the lens of how my mother is adapting to this, right? Uh, she's in her mid sixties, and uh, she's it's not like she's not financially inclusive, but for her to adopt a new technology or make a financial decision, uh, how easy or tricky it gets when it comes to using uh, technology. Right. and the technology provider giving any kind of financial services. So I'm glad you picked up ATM because as we speak, I'm in India, staying with my mom. And um, and then I, I, I really want to track her, you know. <laughs> it's a good uh, test I, case though, right? <laughs> that's right. I'm always looking for her guinea pigs, right? <laughs> she's going to be very upset if she misses this podcast. <laughs> Your mother must love this though. Every time you come to her with something, she's like, am I just a test case for this? she knows me very well I'm sure (laughs) but yeah she's my biggest cheerleader Uh, so so uh, for me to understand her growth I 
you know, I, I ask her to use Paydium and it's so easy to use, you know, the user interface and hats off to Vijay Shekhar Sharma for doing such a brilliant job. And interestingly, you know, when we, when we had demonetization in the country a couple of years ago, I remember everyone was kind of rooting for Paytm to be the number one player because uh, we were not using certain currency nodes and everyone was kind of, you know, forced to make the switch from using hard currency to going digital. And I think that was the turning point, right? Because it's so easy to use. It kind of brings everything at your doorstep at a single click. Uh, you don't need to have multiple apps. If you can get used to just one app, it's user interface. There you go, bingo. And that's precisely when, you know, I had this idea of writing a book on super apps because I find it very fascinating, right? Because when I was working in Europe, and you know this, uh, because you have lived all across, uh, Europeans are very guarded when it comes to their personal data. Most of my friends won't even have Gmail because they're very scared of using Gmail and having a Facebook account or Instagram. So I think as Asians, especially when we talk about super apps coming from China, like WeChat or Grab from Singapore, Paytm from India, uh, the very reason that people adopted it so massively, it's been such a great success, is because we are not shy of sharing our information. You will find tons of information about me on my social media platforms, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I think uh, for me, the idea came from there and... um, I am really hoping that uh, from this podcast, I reach out to uh, the founders, the CEOs of the Super Apps. If they want their story to be in the book, please reach out to me. I would love to feature them and talk about their story, especially to, to you know bring out the angle of financial inclusion, because I think Super Apps are definitely capable of uh, getting to that financial inclusion aspect and making sure that women entrepreneurs can use them to take the business digital, not only because uh, they can sell their goods through the e-commerce feature that they have for super apps, but then also get the payments. So, you know, it's so easy, right? Because you also have a social media channel uh, embedded in it. So it provides you everything under one uh, shop. So the scientific method says that you have a hypothesis and then to prove or disprove that hypothesis, you do an experiment or a group of experiments or just a ton of experiments. And at the end of that experiment, you have a conclusion, which ends up being like a thesis, right? Do you feel like you have a hypothesis for what you're expecting to learn through your experiment of writing this book about what super apps have? And do you have any concern that you may come up with a different conclusion than you're going in with? Yeah, so I think the kind of person I am, I'm very happy to be proven wrong. Fair enough. Because <laughs> I think in, in the current world, if you are so sure, then something is definitely wrong with you. It's good to have a sense of conviction. It's good to know what you're doing. But at the same time, I'm open to learn new things, accept my mistakes, and then coming to a conclusion that, okay, when I started off, I had a different vision. I had a different understanding or assumption about this. So uh, with respect to super apps, I think I'm certainly trying to bring down the linkages between the super app and financial inclusion aspect of it, or for that matter, to bring uh, the glory of how the world is going to adopt super apps in the, in the future, because um, I hate using multiple apps. So I would be more than happy if everything is plugged into one. Like, I wish uh, we could have multiple dating features in one single app itself. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hard to move from one dating app to the other. Fair enough. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I, I think um, for all you know, maybe I would uh, when I'm talking to these founders and getting to their getting to know their story, I would have uh, absolutely a different idea from where I begin from. But at the same time, I think that that's the beauty of it, right? Yeah, you learn something. Uh, that you, yeah, that you learn something new as you go along, and then uh, you kind of adapt yourself to new beginnings and learnings. So I'm I'm more than happy to be absorbing new uh, learnings from this and uh, changing the conclusion part of it and saying this is what I thought initially it's going to look like but this is how it's going to be, and I think COVID nineteen has has made it slightly difficult to finish it because it's kind of hard like you said it's it's sometimes hard to reach out to people mm. and get a response um, because we are so overwhelmed with multiple channels of communication. So hopefully when things settle down, I can finish this book. Do you feel like there's a mental health issue that's been exacerbated by the pandemic in the last year, particularly because, you know, we can talk about financial inclusion and financial literacy in fancy terms, but at the end of the day, people's lives as they revol revolve around money and how much money they have and what the resources that they can actually provide to their families is stressful enough without having a pandemic. Do you think the pandemic has made it worse and has exacerbated that mental health problem? At least for me, I think it's been a little hard in terms of taking my business 100% virtual, but I can understand someone's pain when they're not able to take their business virtual. Like I have friends who are running hotels or wedding businesses, right. running right. big conferences. It's been very hard on them, and I have seen them really, you know, going to depression and um, losing 20 kgs in a span of one month, and wow. things have gone really worse for them. And and then the pandemic has also taught us to really count our blessings and make sure that we love our loved ones even more, uh, because we don't know what's going to happen the next day. Fair but you're absolutely right when you say that uh, it has put the spotlight on mental health as well, because um, at least for me, there are days when I feel that I'm really stretched out with uh, so much information overload and Zoom fatigue. Uh, it's real, right? Constantly being on the screen and uh, zero interaction. I I'm someone who thrives on people's energy. Right. <laughs> So if I don't have that, it gets a little tricky. But I think you are doing an amazing job because you've always been behind the screen with this incredible voice. Uh, I've been a big fan of your voice, the way you talk. <laughs> and you, you, have, uh, you have witnessed this as well. Do you think it has become difficult for you to, to actually carry on with business and work uh, since the pandemic hit us? I sometimes feel like I'm the luckiest person in the world, right? Because I feel like I'm in the right place at the right time with this. But what I do, I can do, you know, sitting on my couch at home or sitting in my office here or literally in a car somewhere on the side of the road because having conversations like this that allow me to inform the rest of the world about what people like you are doing is super important to me. And because... The pandemic has forced people to be home. It's also forced them to then spend more time listening and learning about things about which they did not know before. So my biggest concern really is for people that kind of don't have the financial resources and what the stress has put on them. Like you said, if you're a foreign domestic worker and you don't have access to digital resources and your life was stressful before that anyway, 
what has the pandemic done to that stress level? Because now maybe you're earning less. You can't go and do that FDW work that you were doing before. And you can't transition into a digital job. And now you're super stressed and you can't go home. So I think yeah. that's been really hard. Yeah, so I, I think the problem is certainly real. It's um, we, we all have seen this happening to people we know, and right. um, and I, I and I feel that um, there is there is you know there is no solution that we can have for everyone that fits no. everyone. No. But this is something that we should definitely be aware of and do our bit. For instance. At Femtech Partners, we are a women-led organization. We're always happy to have male uh, workers as well to work with us. But at the same time, we make sure that we take time off. We don't work on the weekends, though it's so easy to kind of, you know, uh, sometimes forget when it's a weekday or weekend. Uh, but at the same time, I, I, I'm, I echo your sentiment that it's very hard for someone who has lost their job and finding it difficult to be back on their feet and learn a new skill. But I always feel that every crisis is an opportunity. So if we can just change our mindset there and take it as a chance for us to grow and to push the envelope, then perhaps we will come out even more stronger. So I have experienced this uh, with every struggle in my life that this was a chance for me to come back and show my real strength. So if all of us can find that little courage day after day to not complain, but to use our energy towards creating something, towards learning something, then we will find that we are a better version of ourselves compared to the last six months. And and I think for me, pandemic personally has been something that has taught me how to meditate. I was very bad with it. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm glad that you are, you know, in a position to do this, maybe sitting at a very nice beach in Thailand. I wish. So I'm missing out on oh, all no. the fun. So I meditate and I go within, you know, they say when you can't go out, you go within. So that's what I've been doing. <laughs> Good stuff. I think that may be the title of this. I go within. I want to really thank you for doing this, Nahameta, the founder of Femtech Partners. Can you tell people how they can contact you? Thank you, Michael, for having me. It was a real pleasure. I think I was laughing for the most part of it. Love it. Um, so I'm definitely uh, you know, available on all social, social media channels, but the best way to look for uh, my contact details would be to just Google me, Nahameta Femtech Partners. And very easy to reach out to me but if you want to you can drop me an email at femtechpartners at outlook.com more than happy to have a chat and um, be of any help thank you michael for having me it's my pleasure